and then I like I remember walking back to the hotel room and I get in there and it was like as if someone lifted this blindfold off of me and I just was in disbelief that suddenly all those things that those women were telling me when I interviewed them for that blog post were true and have been happening to myself and that was the moment where I realized I've been facing these discrimination practices as well. You're listening to Security Sandbox, a podcast about the makers and breakers shaping cybersecurity. I'm your host, Sean Sun, and on this episode, Chloe Mistagi shares her stories about the cultural problems in cybersecurity that can drive women away. According to Bugcrowd's 2019 Inside the Mind of a Hacker Guide, a mere 4% of the global hacking community are women. But the underlying cause of this gender imbalance is not solely due to whether or not we're hiring with diversity in mind. There's also the internal discrimination that can drive people away. This week, I talked to Chloe Mistagi, a security researcher advocate at BugCrowd. She's been speaking at conferences to shine a light on the diversity and inclusion problems we have in InfoSec and offering suggestions of how we can fix it. On this episode, we talk about her conference presentation, her work at BugCrowd, and Sherlock, her Shiba Inu puppy. Chloe Mistagi, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here, Sean. So you identify as a humanitarian advocate in cybersecurity. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what that means? Sure. Um, so my background itself was humanitarian work before InfoSec. So I did a lot of work with um, trying to bring equal education for kids around the world um, and also um, equal access to healthcare as well. So for me, I've always had that humanitarian background before InfoSec. And then when I went into InfoSec, I started realizing that there is a situation where people are not aware how critical and crucial it is to have security. Um, I've seen nonprofits fall apart because what happens is that they get a breach. Uh, When there's a breach of confidential information such as donors and their private info next thing you know is the donors are aware of it and then they don't donate again and what happens is that the missions then end because they're not receiving donations so all the people that were receiving the aid or the assistance are now not getting that anymore so i really saw that this is a huge issue that we need to start looking at security as something that is a humanitarian need we need to keep people safe. We also, we all know someone who's had a breach of confidential information from like equal facts or whatnot of personal data getting out there. And that seems an invasion of privacy and my own personal rights and your personal rights. So that's how it kind of started. And then I kind of became more and more of a secure researcher advocate because I believe in safe harbor. Um, and I also believe in bringing more diversity and inclusion in InfoSec so that we can increase our numbers of you know, representation. Right. And you and I met um, while you were giving a talk about uh, fixing the diversity gap in cybersecurity. Uh, We met at B-Sides Rochester. Um, Can you give the listeners, for those who have missed it, um, just a little insight into what your talk is about and how it's structured? Sure, of course. Um, Usually what I do is I give a little intro of who I am, my background, um, and then followed with details of the recent statistics of how many like women are in the field, other rep- underrepresented persons, so such as minorities are less than 12%. Um, also into other statistics as well that women are more likely to do 2.6 times more unpaid hours than men. Um, and as well as those that are underrepresented are more likely to be let go or fired in InfoSec. And also in other industries as well, but my focus is on InfoSec. Now, a lot of these uh, statistics, I think, continue because we have a lot of biases. And because of biases, I think that is the thing that holds us back from doing inclusion and diversity. So the one way how to like, really get at it is in two ways. One is through personal stories. Hearing people's stories actually impact us the most, as research has shown us, that it makes us question our beliefs and our norms. And this is really uh, important to know that like anything that's socially constructed, like the belief of when you see someone that they look not like you, suddenly you can question that. So I dive into then how our brain works um, and how it analyzes these situations. And then I usually, of course, I want to get into this very awkward uh, activity, which you have to participate in. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it really opens like everyone's eyes, I feel like. And it makes us really realize how small of a community we are really in, um, but also expands our bubble world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I go into other stories of people that have told me. So usually after I do the conference, um, people will reach out to me saying like, hey, I really like your talk and I want to share my personal story with you so you can share it too. And of course, I make all the, when I do share their stories, it's always anonymous because I think that's very important um, to protect them. And then from there, I give a couple takeaways. So how are ways that you can bring diversity and inclusion in the community of InfoSec and also in your workplace as well? And that is how the whole talk goes. Um, But it was really exciting at B-Size Rochester because it was my first time my dad ever went to any InfoSec Oh, cool. Okay, that's awesome. So yeah. He fell in love with it so much that he actually was like, oh my God, I now know how to like pick locks. Oh my God. Now he's like, I need to go to DEF CON. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> what have I done? It's like a candy shop to him. <laughs> um, so you've been to a number of conferences um, doing this talk, right? You, I know that you did it at RSA, you did it at Besides SF. Um, do you know how many in total you've done so far? Or... When was the first talk that you presented this at? Oh my God. So my first talk that I did, um, that's the same one of like how to fix the diversity gap in cybersecurity. The first time I did that was during uh, Las Vegas summer camp week. It was at Hacking Diversity, which happened during the same time as DEF CON. And that was the first time I gave that talk. And of course, it's changed since then. What year was that? That was just last year. Oh, yeah, that okay. Was 2018. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. So has your talk evolved uh, since you've been giving it? Um, I know that you asked for stories from uh, your audience. So um, I guess how has that guided your uh, mission and movement? Um, I would say that it's changed dramatically in a sense where um, I've gotten more and more stories. So at first, when I first started this particular talk, it was mostly on women. It was the lack of women in InfoSec. And then um, throughout like presenting next conference and next conference, I started putting in other stories. So then I started incorporating those that are uh, minorities into my talk and then sharing their stories. Um, like one of, one of the ones that I love to share is the one where this guy is African-American and he's in this room of all, hate to say this, but all white men. Uh-huh. And they're like, let's throw a hip hop party. And he's like, oh my God, no, what is wrong with you? And they're like, yeah, we could do cornrows and we can like, we put some gold teeth in our mouth, saggy jeans. And this poor guy was like, all by himself and he was just like that's it I cannot work here anymore like this is a toxic place for Mm me so stories like that where I just had to also incorporate Um, and then now it's going more into age and also representing the LGBTQ community as well so there's so many different avenues um, of of different ways how to approach diversity because I think diversity is pretty broad in a sense, but it's whoever is missing in this space and not having as much of a voice and equal rights and whatnot. I want to make sure that that represented. So that's what's been happening now. It's like the more stories I hear every time I go to a conference, then I'm like, Oh my God, this would be great to throw in there and this and that. But yeah. So, um, Vanity question, but what has been your favorite conference to present at and why isn't it besides Rochester? (laughs) (laughs) I love besides Rochester. Are you kidding me? Um, Well, because I have family up there, so it's going to be very true to my heart. I will probably be there again next year. Plus, there's this amazing uh, vegan cafe in Rochester called like the Red Fern. And I'm addicted to their cookies because they're also gluten free. So I'm celiac. So it's like a really cool thing. Okay. These cookies. I have to recommend the rainbow cookie because it brings out the inner child of me. (laughs) Um, But other than that, I think like the the one conference that has stand out the most was uh, B-Sides SF just because I was presenting, I was presenting on an IMAX game. It was like my first time like in an IMAX theater. 
I kid you not. And it happened to be like the third largest in North America. And like, I look at the screen behind me and I see Sherlock, which happens to be my puppy, Shibinu, like this monstrous size on there. I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to look back at this again. Like, <laughs> so I just kept talking forward. Um, but that was like a fantastic thing because, um, uh, besides SF was the first InfoSec conference I've ever been to uh, last year. And I remember I was like, wow, I really kind of want to, I want to, if I'm going to give a talk, I really want to do besides SF um, because it's my home. And I like, I really love the community here. And so when I found out that it was accepted, oh my God, I like jumped out of my chair. Like, like, I was so happy, like so happy. And I still in disbelief that I actually one year later is able to present there. It's just still such a dream in many ways. That's but awesome. I loved every single conference I've been to. There's not one that I dislike. They've all have a very special part in my heart. That's awesome. Um, so out of curiosity, so uh, for a little bit of context about what you were saying, um, the really uncomfortable part of your talk is that you have the entire room pair up into two into, into uh, yeah, sorry. Uh, the really uncomfortable part of your talk is that you have the entire room pair up and you have a person A and a person B and you have person A talk for five minutes straight to person B and person B has to listen. And after that's done, you make the reverse where person B talks. And it's really, unco it's really uncomfortable because like either one person's really bad at listening or the other person's really bad at talking. Um, what prompted you to put that in your talk? And oh, so was that in your talk starting from the first one at B-Sides SF or? Yeah. So, um, so the activity itself um, came out of this one time I was doing a communication activity when I was doing my AmeriCorps work. And we did five minutes where we took turns and whatnot. But it was one of those like eye-opening moments where you really realize that we've been trained to respond and not to listen. And I think that was really important. Um, the other thing is that we are in our community, we have people that are introverted and we have people that are extroverted. So it's an activity where they'll have some sort of leverage over when they take turns. Now, the most important thing is when they switch, they also have to keep original material, meaning that like if person A was talking and person B was listening, and when it comes to time for switching those roles, now person B, who's now in charge of talking, can't actually be like, oh yeah, when you were saying this not, that's me too, you're not supposed to do that. It has to be all original material. Um, and something about like doing that AmeriCorps uh, type of workshop, it really impacted me a lot because you notice that when there was like about the three and a half minute mark, suddenly you opened up completely to the stranger where you start talking about your personal life. And that's when you start feeling the connection. Um, I think we make a connection with someone when we know their name, but we learn a deeper connection when we share personal information with each other because we're trusting another person with our life. Um, but also it shows that, you know, that there should be trust in this community to a certain extent mm. and we get to know each other a lot more. So yeah, I've been doing that exercise since my first talk at Hacking Diversity Con. Um, and it's cool. been fantastic. And I, one of these days I'm going to make it eight minutes because when you do eight minutes, oh my God, you find out everything about the new, of the other person. But the cool thing is, like, afterwards, I'll get, like, people DMing me and be like, hey, remember that really awkward, like, activity you made us all do in that room? Guess what? That person is my new best friend. Like, <laughs> that's, like, that's, like, the best moment ever. And so, like, having people connect um, in that way is, uh, it feels amazing. And I'm so happy to, like, try to bring people together. <laughs> So while you've been presenting this talk um, at the many conferences that you've been to, um, I know that you keep your DMs open. Uh, have you faced any challenges along the way? I think the challenges that I've faced along the way is I, I haven't really, to be honest, but I will say like once in a while I'll get some like, you know, mean tweets or something like that, mm -hmm. which is like, I don't understand the point of this diversity thing. Like women are supposed to be in the kitchen. They're supposed to be taking care of like the babies. Like, why aren't you having kids and having a husband and 
mm-hmm. and living in a house and whatnot and stop this nonsense. Like, <laughs> but I don't know if they're serious or if they're just trolling. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. But like, that's the only moments. But honestly, like, it doesn't impact me at all because I'm just like, I kind of laugh it off. So it's interesting because there are definitely some people I know in the space that are very, that would very seriously ask that question. So let's do this. Let's answer that question. Why do we need diversity and inclusion? Uh, well, one, it's 2019. Uh, you should have equal representation of what's out in the streets as in your company, in my opinion. And a sense like if you see men and women out there, there should be men and women in here. Um, the other thing is making sure that minorities are also represented as well. I think that's really important as well. So to be able to have cutting edge products, um, you need diverse teams. That means like if you want to come up with something sparking new or something that's actually going to make a difference and change, you need to have diverse people from all different backgrounds to help with that. Because studies have shown if you keep hiring people that are exactly the same as you are, you're not going to get any cutting edge products. You're not going to be cutting edge when it comes to your competitors. So in the end, you need diversity. You do need that. But the other part is you can have diverse teams, but you can also practice inclusion because if you don't practice inclusion, you're not going to have that diverse team anymore because they will leave or you will let them go most likely. So, yeah. Cool. Um, So what is the difference between diversity and inclusion? Mm, So diversity is the practice of bringing in all different walks of earth. So making sure that you have a safe space and whatnot is something inclusion. So inclusion is putting certain things in place so people feel welcome. They feel included. They feel they have equal opportunities. Um, Have a safe space to explain things in a way where if they don't feel comfortable that they're able to express that. I think that's very important. Um, So, yeah, so that's the difference between diversity and inclusion. Diversity is like, yes, we should have everyone there possible. Inclusion is the practice to keep that there and to reinforce that. So you are currently in SF now, um, but you're still uh, on your, I would say, I guess, like almost conference tour um, for your talk. How can people find out like where you are? Excellent. Um, So my, I guess, tour mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is posted on uh, com, mm-hmm. um, and I'll probably tweet it out maybe a day or two or sometimes like a crowd will tweet it out like a week or two uh, in advance but yeah if you want to see where I am going to be you want to meet or or anything like that I always tell people just dm me on twitter um and yeah cool. post it up there and it's always updated um whenever it needs to be updated. Let's put it that way. So out of curiosity, on your website, um, it does say New York Fashion Week. Did you also present um, this talk at New York Fashion Week? Oh my God, yes. No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No. um, So my background is I'm actually a model part-time. So I got the opportunity to go to New York Fashion Week for modeling purposes. Cool. If you were to present your talk there, uh, where where would you prefer your stage to be? I don't know. Probably in a bar because they'll be like, what is this? What is InfoSec? (laughs) (laughs) And during that time, like I've met too many people during fashion week where they're like, I'm not, I'm not eating anything. I'm, I'm cleansing or like I'm detoxing. So, but they'll drink alcohol. So (laughs) that's the thing I don't understand. But yeah, no, it's yeah. I'd probably do a bar. So then they would learn, I would have to first talk a little bit about like InfoSec and mm-hmm. the background of what InfoSec is. So you were saying that you work at BugCrowd. Um, you are a security researcher advocate. Um, can you tell me a little bit about what that means or what do you do? What's your day-to-day like? Right. So uh, what I do at BugCrowd is I get to work with some fantastic team members. Um, you may have heard of them. You got Kevin, you got Sam, you got Jason Haddix. Um, and it's quite a team and what we do is our focus is on researchers um, bringing in new researchers is one the other thing is to promote the researcher space in a sense where we want to make sure that you know all our researchers are feeling like appreciated but also they we get in new researchers to learn a little bit more about bug buying so yeah. what we also do is we attend conferences we also um, participate in hacking events um, such as bug bashes, we call them here. 
Uh, we also do an ambassador program, which I'm, I spearhead, um, which is basically we get the best of the best of the bug bounties out there to represent in their own communities. So they bring education. Um, they also provide talks at conferences about bug bounties to get it more out there that bug bounty is an option for people that want to become pen testers or if they are pen testers to learn new skills. Um, it's a really great um, place to start. I know a lot of people that wanted to become pen testers, um, so they started doing bug bounty. So then when it came the time for applying for a job as a pen tester, they were able to get one versus waiting for a year or two to become a pen tester. Um, but we're also very conscious about uh, diversity and inclusion. Uh, we want more women hackers. Right now, it shows that only 4% of hackers are women. So I'm definitely driven and my team is completely driven to try to change that statistic. When you say 4% are hackers, do you mean 4% in the entire cybersecurity workforce or 4% in the bug bounty space? Uh, entire infosec is 4% of all hackers are women. Okay. Apparently. This is a statistic that I found out about like a couple of weeks ago. Interesting. So, yeah. Because there's other statistics out there, like 11% are of, right. like of the infosec workplace or workforce is uh, women. Right. And then there's another one that came out about 20%. Mm-hmm. Um, but that means any type of role in infosec held right. by women. Right. So yeah, it's one of those hard ones because it's very hard to try to figure out who's a man who is a woman as a hacker at the same time. Um, so I don't know how they get those statistics, but these are the ones I know. Right. That's really interesting just because like, that's like a mind blowingly small number, right? It is. I'll be honest though. uh I do believe that number. Um, as a hacker and knowing female hackers or women hackers, uh, I'm just going to say, yeah, we're a very, very small bunch. We are a really powerful bunch that empower each other, which I love. Um, but yeah, it's a very small community. And then when it comes to bug bounty in itself, there's not that many women either in that space. So that's even more of a thing that I'm trying to push for is I want more women to know about bug bounty as an option, especially if they're trying to learn how to be pen testers, um, or are starting their hacking career or they are hackers already, they can get side money from doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. and also upping up their skills, which I think is really valuable at the end. Um, so that's really interesting. Um, because like, you know, the difference between like saying that how many women are in the workforce versus how many women are actually hackers. Um, you, so you have a story. Oh, you mean the story, the story that came out publicly besides SF? The story. Yes. The story. Okay. So I almost left InfoSec everyone. (laughs) And how that happened was that last year I would, I did a blog post about International Women's Day. And during this time, I interviewed a bunch of women and they told me all their stories and how they've been thinking about leaving the field or, or have left the field. So I put together a blog and it was really cool. It was shared around quite a bit. Um, and then I attended RSA afterwards. And when I went to RSA, I remember being in this room of hundreds of men and I looked around, there was like two other women. And at that time, I'm like, please don't say you are an executive assistant. Please say you're not an executive assistant. They both happen to be executive assistants to CISOs. Um, and I was just like, okay. And then I walked down the hall. I'm like, it can't get that bad, right? It can't. And I like walking down the hall. And then I see there's the restroom. So on the left side, there's the men's. And across is the women's. The men's has like this long line for the first time ever that I have witnessed, to be honest. And it goes around a corner and whatnot. And then the women's restroom, there was no line. I'm like, okay, maybe the line's inside. I walked right inside and there was no one in there. Like it was like a ghost town in the woman's bathroom. So ladies, there's no lines for the women's bathroom in InfoSec. You should go to more of these conferences. Anyway, so <laughs> and then I like I remember walking back to the hotel room and I get in there and it was like as if someone lifted this blindfold off of me and I just was in disbelief that Suddenly, all those things that those women were telling me when I interviewed them for that blog post were true and have been happening to myself. And that was the moment where I realized I've been facing these discrimination practices as well. And I remember breaking down, crying, not like cute sobs, you know, like, 
like little tears kind of, no, it was like really ugly cry, you know? Right. <laughs> um, and I was like curled up in a ball in disbelief that this is happening in 2018 at the time. And I was just like, well, that's it. I cannot do this anymore. I don't want to be part of this. The women are leaving. They've been in this industry for like, you know, anywhere from 10 to 30 years and they're leaving now because they, they're not getting promoted or, or they're also keep facing like harassment or they're also constantly being told like they're not technical enough or they're not able to do anything because of their gender and these biases that some people have really believed into. And so I literally was just like, well, I'm going to leave. I'm going to go back to going to other fields of tech. And yeah, so I was looking around for like two months. I was going to get out of it. But then I attended this conference called Day of Shikiri. Um, so that happens in June of last year. And I walked in this room and it's all women. Only the only men that attended were like either those that were doing workshops or volunteers. And it was just all women. 200 women in a room I felt so like emotional and empowered in a sense where I was like oh my god I'm not alone because this whole entire time I thought that I was very much alone in this situation and yes there was a, definitely a long line for the women's restroom and there was no line in the men's but so it was like one of those moments where I just like was awakening where I was like you know what I don't want to give up quite yet because if I give up then there's the statistics will not change for women here. So I'm going to do whatever I can, whatever it takes to get up there. So at this time, um, it was summertime, so it was June. And I was like, okay, what do I need to do to make sure that this uh, continues? So I contacted those women again from when I did that blog post. And then they put me in contact with other people. So then next day, now I'm, I'm talking to like men and women that are just like, we don't want you to leave the field. We believe you have a voice. We like your, your, your like, I don't know, passion or whatnot. And we are going to send you to go to a Las Vegas summer camp. I'm like, what? And the next thing I know, I check my emails. I have flight tickets. I have hotel stay. I have badges for um, all the conferences, which is fantastic. Um, so I got to go to like six conferences for my first time ever. And I met the coolest people ever at besides uh, Las Vegas. And I got to be a Bolt too, which was an amazing experience. I absolutely love them there. They're amazing. Um, I got to go to Black Hat. I got to go to all these. But most importantly, I also got to give a talk. And um, I gave that talk at Hacking Diversity, which is the talk that has been, I've been doing on tour, I guess. And that was a changing moment because that was when I connected with other empowering women that are also doing talks and they wanted to do something and make a difference. But I have to admit, the one thing that I did take away from there was also a job. Um, I actually got into, I went to every single Bud Crowd event because I was very interested in working for them, but I wanted to know if these were going to be um, the next place that I would want to work with, good colleagues, and they practice diversity and inclusion. I that was like my priority at that point. So I remember at the pool party with QueerCon and Bug Crowd, and I got to meet uh, various different people at Bug Crowd in person. And then I think about 1.30 in the morning, after doing the three, two, one rule, with many of you guys don't know, it's three hours of sleep, two meals a day, one shower. Um, I did that for like five days. And then one day I was just staying at a pool next to Casey, the founder of Bug Crowd at this QueerCon pool party. And we just talked about the issues of diversity, inclusion, and infosec for like 30 minutes at the pool. And that was when the realization came to me. It was like, this is it. This is, this is the company I want to work for. I love that the founder believes in this and I see that he is asking questions to understand it more that lets me know that this is the place I want to be next and ever since then I have been working for Bug Crowd cool. <laughs> which is fantastic and I never left the infosex space and now Yay. I get to like give talks and like help other people know that they're never alone ever they should never feel alone 
So in bug crowd fashion, in crowdsourcing fashion, um, we opened up Q&A to uh, the audience um, for this interview. And I have one question for you. Um, so Kelly Shortridge, she's the VP of product and strategy at Capsule 8. She's also the host of Between Two Ferns, sorry, Between Two Kernels. Um, and she's awesome. She's asking, how can we get people to stop blaming the pipeline and focus on improving that culture within? Right. Um, so I would definitely say have an open, uh, open floor in a sense for uh, anyone can go to anyone and be like, hey, you know, remember when we talked about this? It would have been better if you did something like that. So having something where it's a comfortable space is very important. So I think the first thing of any workplace is to bring that sense of comfort where anyone can say anything and feel like everyone's trying to learn from each other. Once you have that comfort right there, I think that's when things start magically um, changing for the better. One of the other ways you can know is that, like, for example, when you're in a conference room and there's, like, only one woman in the room, for example. And if that one woman in the room points out something and then everyone's just like, no, that's not going to work. But then a man across from her says the exact same thing. They're like, that's brilliant. You have a problem. Um, this is a very common situation, by the way, is when a woman does bring it up, but then they like just shush her kind of thing. And then they're like, but then when the guy says it, they're like, that's brilliant. And um, see, that's an issue right there. Um, I think that's one of those things where, yeah, it's once again, it's that whole thing about having comfort. Comfort is going to be everything. The other thing is even not just like in the office, it's also outside the office. So for example, on Twitter, be kind people it's very easy um and that's like the one thing as well so i think being kind um being open-minded is another but also to check in with your biases the thing that you learn from the talk is that by checking in with ourselves and questioning like am i doing something wrong am i am i projecting something that is incorrect possibly i think that's another thing but if someone ever comes and approaches you and say hey, you kind of did this to me and it didn't make me feel comfortable, don't just suddenly get defensive. Be like, okay, let me think about this. Let me try to fix that. Because it's when we get uncomfortable, that's when the learning is really happening. It's when we're actually making changes that can help others in a sense. So I think that's really important as well. I hope that kind of answers um, her question. Yeah. Um, but I think definitely comfort, safe space um, is definitely one of those things. And also checking in with your own biases also hearing other people's stories. So stories is another thing that I think really can are powerful and really can make a change. So you were talking about um, that, you know, for International Women's Day, you collected a lot of uh, stories about like, you know, discrimination against uh, these female hackers. What are some of those uh, things that happen just so that anyone listening can look out for those? It's like, hey. Yeah. Um, so some of their stories is most of the time it's a uh, gender cap pay kind of situation. So finding out that like their colleagues are making more than them. Um, the other thing is getting promoted. So most of the time they see their like male peers getting promoted when they're doing a lot more of the work. Um, or if they take risks, then they get like let go or fired. That is definitely a one that is really scary and shocking always um, for anyone who's underrepresented to speak out their mind or or to take a risk it's a big big deal they knew that if they do any risk like this it puts their job online however if someone is like a white male you're not going to face that as much so it's you're able to like take the risks and get promoted and even if you fail at least they're happy about it like that you even took the risk for like women per se or other underrepresented persons when we actually are thinking about doing that risk, we have already considered that we can get in some serious trouble for this. Um, so we're a lot more hesitant taking risks sometimes. And that can also be a problem because then how do we get promoted? Mm -hmm. So how do we ask for more money too, right? Because we know that would be taking a risk. So women will put up with it um, or other representative persons will also put up with it as well. So you are also the founder of Drop Labels and one of the many co-founders of WOSEC. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience founding those nonprofits? Yeah, sure. Um, so Drop Labels was something that came about when I was doing some teaching on the side. 
um, I was working with special ed kids and I noticed that the label that they were being projected with, you know, or diagnosed with was preventing them from believing in themselves. But also it, it continued this kind of situation where teachers kind of were like, well, then I don't want to teach you or put energy towards you. And what happens is the kids felt like they were never going to get anywhere because of it. And then they ended up being bullied also from students or they themselves were being the bulliers. And the reason for that was because they were just like, well, um, I'm not going to get anywhere in life. Might as well just do this. Or the fact that they were picked on all the time or ignored, that's when they started doing that. So I started working with these kids to try to change that situation. In essence, where like, I really believed in them. Like I honestly do. I still do today. I still talk to them and their families still today. And I realized like, okay, so the thing that's really holding us back as a society um, coming together and making a difference, making changes is literally our beliefs of each other are these projected socially constructed norms and beliefs. And so because of that, that's when I was like, I kind of want to create something. And then I started connecting with other nonprofits and I created uh, Drop Labels. And so Drop Labels is this movement of sharing personal experiences and stories because research has shown to any way to change prejudice mindsets is by hearing other people's stories. Um, so that's when I created Drop Labels to try to change that and also for us to question projected biases on each other and also to really hear about other people's stories because I think we're all very like wanting to know about who is who kind of thing like I don't know ever since I was like five years old even earlier in that I'd be like looking down the street and be like I wonder what that person's story is I wonder what that person's story is like I'm just always curious about other people because I just want to feel connected in a sense because I know we are connected we have to be in this world so has anyone ever told you how cool of a name drop labels is and just like a security aspect like uh, when I found out about drop labels, I really thought it was like, like security related just because drop tables. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. So if no one's told you that, well, that's super cool, but Thank um, you. <laughs> yeah. were you um, in the security space when you founded that or was it just like, uh, it just foreshadowed? It was literally, I think, uh, right after I got my master's, I, I think like a year afterwards or something like that, I decided to create it. Um, but yeah, it's great. It's it's just, it's run by volunteers. We're all volunteers. We never ask for donations. We don't want donations. And so what we do is we try to, uh, we'll connect with other nonprofits that work with people that are underrepresented. And then what we do is we like say, Hey, check these guys out with the work they're doing. And we ask for people to donate to them. And that's, that's the difference about us. We're not looking for money. Cool. Now, the other thing is WOSEC. WOSEC is cool. Um, WOSEC is one of the things that I have founded. Uh, we also were formerly known as WIST, not to get confused with WISP. Um, so WIST is Women in Security and Technology. We have now shifted our name to WOSEC, our Women in Security. Um, so we don't get confused with WISP, which is Women in Security and Privacy. We love them and we want to support each other. So we thought, that would be the best mark was so then people don't get confused between the two, but we love them. They love us. We're, it's so amazing to work with all these different women organizations. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that makes us different from like WISP in the sense is that we have chapters all over the world. So we have chapters like, Oh my God, everywhere, Singapore, South, like South Africa, all over the U S it's been fantastic. Um, it's just a bunch of women coming together. Um, and trying to empower each other, provide the resources that we need to survive and also to um, learn new tools or new skills. Um, we're definitely definitely a technical group of people too. So a lot of the times our meetups are something on a new tool that people are using or a new, anything that's like security related, we tend to talk about, or sometimes it's just like us just talking about situations. How do we deal with this situation when, you know, uh, boss does this, or we talk about other things that like trying to provide anything possible for every single woman not to leave. That's the, that is literally like our mission in WOSEC is to keep women in InfoSec. Mm -hmm. So whatever we can do, whatever we can supply with, that would be great. And mm -hmm. I run the SFA area chapter, so um, which is wonderful. RSA has been so great this year. They really upped their game on diversity and inclusion from last year. Mm -hmm. Um, they actually gave us space 
for our first international meetup, um, which was fantastic. So super happy about RSA this year. You're doing it good. Um, so to put you in the spot and make you choose, um, of all these things that you've done, um, what are you the most proud of? Oh, man. I don't know. That is a really hard question, actually. <laughs> I'm, I'm proud of all of them. Um, by the same time, I feel like it's still not enough. Like there's so much more I need to keep doing to try to make a difference. Like my mission in life is to make a difference. Um, as corny as that may sound, it's always been my dream is to bring empowerment and bring equal representation, equal rights to anyone who's underrepresented. That's always been my drive since I can remember since maybe like three or four. So whatever that is, I would probably do. So do you know, uh, do you know where that drive comes from? Um, I think it's just literally, you know, maybe my parents, like my, my parents have been, they're like fantastic. <laughs> um, I'm very fortunate in that sense um, where basically I learned from my parents of the importance of having empathy and also the importance of caring for each other. I also learned how to be strong to support another person um, how to be brave was probably from both my parents. Like my mom is probably the fiercest woman I've ever met. Like she is a role model. She's been in tech for the longest time. My father, he taught me to never let gender get in the way of what I need to do to make a difference in this world. Um, and that is fantastic. So I think my drive literally comes from just having incredible parents. And now I have another drive, which is because I am a parent, which is a puppy parent or, uh, you know. Yeah. I was just going to say that, uh, speaking of supporting other people, everything, everything you do is for Sherlock, right? <laughs> for Sherlock to live a better life. I want Sherlock to have the better life than I have. <laughs> no, she's, she's like the sweetest in the world. Um, yeah, she's a, she's a pup. She's a Shiba Inu pup. She's now nine months old. She's a rescue from a puppy mill. Um, and yeah, she's, she's so sweet. She really is so sweet. Um, and I'm very fortunate to have my parents because I'm, whenever I'm at these conferences, guess who needs to watch Sherlock? It's my parents. <laughs> so I drop her off with my parents and they watch her when I go to conferences. But the way, the, the way I would think about it is look, you two raised me so well. I just need you to do that. Too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, my, my parents are like, out of all the dogs you can pick, you pick the one that questions when you ask it to come. <laughs> so thing about Shiba Inus, you can never take them off leash. Um, they're very curious. Um, so that's why the name Sherlock is in play because she will investigate everything and anything. Um, but she's just very wise. Like the second day I had her, she went straight to the kitchen and she looks at me, picks up her metal food bowl and slams it down. This is granted. She was three months at the time. Okay. Three months. And she slams it down. And she looks at me like, Oh, you're hungry. Okay. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, she's, uh, and, but she loves to cuddle. So a lot of sheep don't really like to cuddle. They're extremely loyal though. Like she is the loyal. I, yeah, she's so loyal. Um, guard dog too sometimes if necessary but she is fantastic my parents are so happy they're like they're like this is my little grandbaby that's what they call <laughs> but yeah so you know you're always working on either drop labels or WOSEC or this talk or at bug crowd um, you also mentor like I don't know last time we talked you said you were mentoring like 50 different people which is a crazy number um, and it's awesome that you do that but this is also a lot, right? Um, do you have any strategies for self-care? Oh, yes. Um, the strategy I have for self-care is one, check in with yourself. Like make sure that you are feeling okay and happy and whatnot. If you're feeling like fatigued, that means like, okay, you need to take a day off. Um, another strategy that I do is when I feel overwhelmed and like really needing a break, what I actually do is I'll turn off my phone. I will turn off my phone. I will get away from all electronics and I'll get away from the base. So that means like, and that means driving up to Davis, which is like up there or to like Napa or Sonoma, um, just to get away for the day um, where no one can text or anything like that. That's what I tend to do. Um, another thing is that I used to have an Apple watch. I don't have it on anymore. And the reason for that is that it enables for me to focus a lot more. 
but also like it reduces the stress I have because I get DMs, I get like all the time, emails all the time. So like I'll be sitting in a meeting and within two minutes I'll have like 10 dings on like my my watch and it just got to a point where like no no I need to be centered in in the moment so I take the watch off I know one could take off notifications but I'm like then what's the point of the watch um so yeah I think self-care is really important take care of yourself eat well um have a good balance um that's mental health is a huge deal in infosec um so I always make sure that I'm feeling you know good for the day but also I have a lot of things on my plate. Um, so I always make sure I'm organized all the time. Um, and you know, I try my best. Like there'll be times where like I need to find someone to mentor because I can't help them like two or three hours a week. So I'll find someone who will be the perfect bet that I know that they're going to help this person out significantly. Um, which is great. And I love that about the community because we help each other. That's the fantastic thing of this community. We help each other. Um, we're never alone. And that's what I want. That's literally what I do for mentoring is letting them get where they need to go, helping them get to where they need to go, giving them the skills, giving them the resources that they need, the connections that they need to get where they need to go. But most importantly, I want them to stay in this space. And that is why I do what I do. So, um, speaking of mental health for ha- like for hackers, um, what are some poor mental health related things that you've seen hackers do? Uh, drinking. I'm going to say drinking is one of the biggest ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I know people that self-medicate by drinking because being an infosec, most of the time you are on the edge of your seat. And so you're always around the clock, like always thinking and trying to think of new tools, new resources, or how do I fix this bug or how do I break this item? So you're constantly on. So a lot of times people drink. Also, sometimes people when they go to conferences, they are introverts. And so they drink. So then they become extroverts and feel more comfortable. And so that's another situation right there. So I definitely have seen a lot of drinking in the space. We're talking about drinking in a terms of using it to self-medicate um, or feeling pure or feeling peer pressure to drink, right? We're not t- saying like, if you like alcohol, you are welcome to. Yeah, no, the, I mean, like for me, like if I go to a conference or something like that, I'll have like one drink usually, or sometimes right. I'll have two depending if it's a long night, but I never go over that because I'm just like one, I need to be on probably the next day for doing a talk. <laughs> um, or it could also just be like, I just want to not drink that much. Like, Right. And that's, that's totally fine. I've actually, the last DEF CON, someone tweeted out saying like, Hey, you guys, I have a suite. I'm hosting a party, but I'm not serving alcohol. It's for people that don't want to drink. And I thought that was the coolest thing ever because suddenly like I thought of all the people that don't want to drink or trying to ex- not drink during DEF CON and they were able to like meet other people that were doing the exact same thing. So they didn't feel pressure because the pressure is real too, mm-hmm. um, to drink. But yeah, um, and also, you know, we have a lot of people in the infosec that are dealing with anxiety, depression, insomnia. Um, yeah, there's just, and that's the thing is like making sure you keep yourself in check. Um, have your, you know, your forms of contact. So always making sure there's someone there who you can rely on. I think that's very important as well um, because I've seen, I've, I've heard too many situations where people are very close to suicide or have committed suicide. Almost every week I hear of a new suicide or someone in the hospital because they tried committing suicide. So that's like one of my concerns right now for, for people right now in this community. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, Cool. I just wanted to put that so that like wouldn't have any angry trolls being like, uh, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's interesting that you say that like introverts become extroverts. Like, how do you think I do this podcast? <laughs> right. It is. It, it, yeah, me too, actually. Um, <laughs> um, cool. Um, so do you see, so, you know, I think we talk a lot about the things that worry us in cybersecurity, um, because there's a lot 
to worry about, um, whether, you know, it's a technical thing or it's just like a cultural thing. Um, but what do you see happening in cybersecurity that excites you that you see um, is pushing uh, us forward in the positive, cor- like, no, I don't want to say correct, but uh, what is pushing us forward in a healthier direction? Uh, I would definitely say that I came in the perfect time for inclusion and diversity because more and more people are starting to see that is a necessity. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's the thing I'm so excited about is that the fact that people are starting to take the steps to change the situation. I have people from other companies or um, people that are looking to hire and they'll contact me and they'll be like, Hey, can you look at this job posting and let me know how can I change it? So then more women will apply. I think that's so cool that people are willing to like go out of their way and be like, I want to make sure that everyone feels equal to apply to this. That's fantastic. Also the fact that like a lot of these conferences are accepting more and more talks of women I think that's another powerful thing too. So I think we're definitely on the, um, we're in the right direction, I would say, for inclusion and diversity. And cool. that what excites me the most, I think, for sure. Cool. Um, so final question. Um, throughout your uh, journey throughout security, what is one lesson that you have learned that you would like to pass on? Um, okay. I, the biggest lesson is I'm going to go back to the feeling alone because I was in that place at some point last year when I was leaving InfoSec. And the most important thing you can do is literally find support groups that will help you or, um, and by support groups, I mean people that will want to cheer you on and empower you. Um, Also finding mentors. Mentors are great. Um, They will get you where you need to go. And most importantly, if you do not know of anyone in the space or you are wanting to join the space or you feel alone, I am always there. DM me and I'll set you up with someone if necessary as a mentor. Um, Also, I'll help you find the groups of people that will be there to help you uh, wherever you need to go as well. Cool. Um, Chloe, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you for having me, Sean. Yeah. Do you have any shameless plugs, words of wisdom, shout outs? Um, yes. Check out my website, ChloeMinnesdaggy.com. And the reason for that is that I love to meet people at conferences. So even if it's for like five or 10 minutes, just the fact that I get to meet people in person that like are, you know, that DM me on Twitter or LinkedIn, it means the world to me because I love to meet new people. I love to hear people's stories. Um, so if you are also someone who's underrepresented and you want your story to be shared at my next conference, uh, reach out to me and we can jump on a call. I would love to chat with you and get inspired. And just, I'm, I'm so thrilled and thankful to be part of this community. So anything I can do to help out is I'm more than willing to. Hey there, thanks for listening. As Chloe mentioned, you can see where she's going to be presenting next by going to her website at chloemistoggy.com. I'll drop a link in the show notes. And if you're looking to find a mentor in the cybersecurity space, her DMs on Twitter are open. I'm sure that she'd be happy to help you connect to someone. And you can check us out at hackerculture.fm. We're working on updating the website to give you more in-depth show notes and extra sound clips from our interviews. This episode was recorded and mixed by me. Special thanks to Chloe for an awesome conversation, and we wish her the best during her presentations. And of course, thank you, listener, for tuning in. You can let us know what you thought of this episode by tweeting at HackerCultureFM. If you liked the episode, consider leaving it a review at Apple Podcasts or send me a message on Anchor. And don't forget to tune in next week on wherever you listen to podcasts.